1: Perfectionism is not helpful and it is not healthy for us, both physically or emotionally. It is associated with increased levels of anxiety and depression, eating disorders, suicidal behavior, physical health problems, relationship problems. So a whole, you know, host of negative outcomes.
0: You're listening to Sharon Martin on Psychologist Off the Clock. We are three clinical psychologists committed to cutting-edge, integrative, and evidence-based strategies for living well. On this podcast, we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. I am Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie
2: Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. We hope this podcast offers you ideas for how to live a full and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to
0: Psychologists Off the Clock. So Debbie, it's so good to see you again on the computer, but it was even better to see you over the weekend in Colorado. We were there for a CFT, Compassion-Focused Therapy, workshop with russell colts and of course the best part was just catching up with you personally and all about your life and to hear more about your new practice i'm really excited for you so how is how is private practice in denver going for you
2: it's great i think as as i've talked about in the past i've been working in the medical setting and a va for many years and i've just recently added some private practice hours and it's been really a lot to learn and some things that are pretty different than what I've been doing so it's a lot of added a lot of variety and vitality to my life and and I think uh it's been a lot of work to kind of start a small business um I'm starting to get everything starting to get in place so thank you and it was wonderful to see you Diana I really enjoyed the time that we had together learning about compassion focused therapy which I know is something that you love. We've talked about that on the podcast many times as well. And we were just at a training, a two-day training with Russell Colts, who did an episode with us, episode 50.
0: Yeah. And and it's actually, you know, it's interesting because I've done a lot of compassion focus therapy trainings and work over the past few years. And it's probably linked to what our episode is about today, (laughs) which is perfectionism and my own perfectionism and my own really... Uh, strong self-critic and compassion focused therapy and compassion has been really for me, um, the medicine for that. So I think it's, it's totally linked to this concept of perfectionism and we even talked about it too. And we've talked about it, Debbie, because in our friendship I err on the side of perfectionism and you don't strike me as a perfectionist quite as much. And I'm wondering what it's been like for you to be a friend and also a business partner with a perfectionist.
2: Yeah. So that's, I think that's been something that you and I have talked about and kind of joked about sometimes before is how different we are in that regard, because I know that that's something you've struggled with. And for me, I do occasionally get a little perfectionistic, but in general, it's just not something that's a huge struggle for me. Um, So I think we balance each other out really well. Like I think that the sort of the really nice side about working with someone who's more perfectionistic than me is that sometimes it helps kind of motivate me and pay a little bit more attention to make sure I kind of get things as as good as I can um but you know when we were talking about this the other day Diana I was saying that I think there are times when you know it's you compare yourself to a perfectionist and sometimes you feel like you fall a little short so I think that sometimes I have a little bit of self criticism around like, oh, I'm not doing this well enough or something like that. And so when we work together, occasionally, you know, that can show up for me, this sort of self-criticism about like, oh, I wish I, you know, had my act together better, was more organized, that kind of thing. Um, and, but, and- oh, I just appreciate how we kind of have this balance. I know Yael's talked a lot about Taoism on the podcast. And I think sometimes I feel like when we work together, Diana, we're, we're yin-yang to each other
0: yeah and you really you know like going back to compassion focused therapy we have our threat system we have our drive system and our soothing system and i think for me as a perfectionist being partnered with you you activate my soothing system which is so nice Aww. <laughs> because my perfectionism actually is really rooted in my threat and for me when i feel threat threatened and stressed i go into drive and i go into doing and my attention gets narrowed and i become less flexible And what I found in in doing this collaborative work together that is actually through connection and through being with people that really accept you as you are, that uh, allows me to loosen up on the perfectionism. And it's actually what I'm craving. And it's so, I think Sharon Martin, who is the person that I interviewed for this podcast, we talk about is that perfectionists are actually really craving connection and to be accepted But the way that we go about that by trying to make our worlds perfect ourselves seem perfect on the outside actually pushes people away. And that's what you're alluding to is that when I get really perfectionistic, it doesn't actually bring you closer. It just makes you start feeling bad. about yourself. <laughs> That's not what I want to do, Debbie. That's I not know. what I want to do. Not my intention. It's so, okay, Diana. I love you. I wouldn't yeah. hold that against you. <laughs> and, and we laugh about it because we know that I, and, you know, for listeners, I create these arbitrary deadlines that we need to be doing X number of episodes. <laughs> like there's, there's no one out there telling us how the frequency of our episodes are released, but uh, you know, it, it's not so fun to be a perfectionist uh, at all.
2: Well, but you know what I appreciate, Diana, I think is that you acknowledge about that about yourself and we talk openly about it. And I actually mm-hmm. think that, that that really helps with that dynamic so that we don't end up just getting annoyed with each other is that we can, you know, we can find a middle ground.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is that the irony of perfectionism is that although, you know, there's there's there was this big meta-analysis that they looked at 95 different studies on perfectionists. And what they found was Although perfectionists may be slightly more motivated or conscientious, when, when you look at perfectionists at work, they actually don't perform any better at work than non-perfectionists. So it, it's sort of this, all this effort goes into something that doesn't really pan out over time. You don't really do better because you're perfectionist. So it, it would benefit probably me, and I've been working on this, to let go of some of those standards a little bit.
2: That actually feels good to me to hear that because I always assume that if I was more perfectionistic, I'd be more, <laughs> I'd be doing better work, but maybe not.
0: Not necessarily because you get so hung up on some of the details that you lose track of the big pe- big picture. And that's what happens when we're in our threat system or our drive system. Again, our attention narrows, we become less flexible, and then we're less likely to take risks or try new things, maybe less creative. Uh, you know, those are important aspects of doing good work. Uh, it, and I was reading on the on the uh, airplane ride home. It's such a treat to have an airplane ride all by myself, two hours. I know,
2: it two hours so to just read.
0: Amazing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no children. <laughs> I've heard of people who take international flights just to write their books because it's it's actually such a good environment to do work in. And I I could totally get on board with that. Just like fly to Japan and back. <laughs>
2: That's you kind of an expensive it.
0: way. Kind of to expensive. <laughs> I have some private time. But anyways, I was reading Paul Gilbert's book because he's coming on the show in a couple of weeks. And uh, he's really the founder of CFT. He wrote this book called Living Like Crazy, which is going to make me crazy to try and get this book read by the time I meet with him because it is so long. <laughs> but I'm like halfway through, but I'm working on it. And he was writing about perfectionism in it. And what he wrote about was how the root of perfectionism is actually shame. And I totally got that, right? That there's this underlying shame that then the perfectionist does all this work to try and make it um, other people not see it. And you know, it's sort of like how I describe my house of my closets are a mess, but they're all behind closed doors. And I think that is sometimes a metaphor for my life. Uh, so.
2: Well, I will definitely keep that in mind next time I'm like, oh no, I have to meet Diana's arbitrary deadline. I'll just keep a compassionately remind myself about that, Diana.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Debbie. And so we hope you enjoy the show. Sharon Martin's going to talk about some of the characteristics of perfectionism. She's going to give us some tools from CBT of how we can maybe loosen up a little bit, have some more self-compassion, and uh, hopefully it'll be helpful for for all of us perfectionists out there, but also for therapists Mm -hmm. that may be working with perfectionists or friends. Yeah, perfectionists and the people who love them. Sharon Martin, LCSW, is a licensed psychotherapist practicing in San Jose, California. She specializes in helping perfectionists and people pleasers embrace their imperfections and overcome self-doubt and shame. Her own struggle to feel good enough inspired her passion for helping others learn to accept and love themselves. Sharon writes the popular blog, Happily Imperfect, for psychcentral.com, and is the author of the book, The CBT Workbook for Perfectionism, Evidence-Based Skills to Help You Let Go of Self-Criticism, Build Self-Esteem, and Find Balance. Thank you, Sharon, for coming on the show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: It's wonderful to read your workbook on perfectionism because throughout, I sort of both related to it personally, as well as see its utility in working with clients. And you also share in the book that you have your own history that led you to doing this work. So I'm wondering if we could start there with how you got to writing and doing work in perfectionism.
1: Sure, Um, I mean, I I think like so many people, um, whether it's their clinical work or um, something that they write, I mean, the the passion really does come from our own lives, our own stories and trying to figure things out For ourselves Um, so that was very much the case for me first it was trying to figure out okay what is going on why am I so self-critical so unfulfilled no matter what I achieve and sort of doing all the right things all the time and still feeling like okay I'm still never enough it's never you know never good enough um trying to sort all that out and figuring out that there's this root of perfectionism this you know fear of um criticism and people being unhappy with me um and needing to just prove myself all of the time you know so i mean it's a lengthy process of figuring out what all that is and what i can do with it and you know going to my own therapy and reading a lot and so forth um you know and then once I was able to to un you know untangle all of that and get some answers and some strategies and some solutions, um, then I was able to use a lot of that with my own clients, which is a wonderful thing to feel like okay, now I can help other people figure this out and then you know the last piece was eventually writing this book um, which now feels wonderful too to just bring that to even more and more people out in the world. Um, you know, obviously, I can only see so many people in my own office. so it's 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 really gratifying to see other people and other clinicians, um, you know, being able to use some of the same strategies that I have found useful.
0: So what are some of the characteristics of being a perfectionist?
1: Well, I've kind of broken it down into three um, kind of chunks in the book. So the first piece of it is what I call painfully high standards. Um, So these are things that are just totally unrealistic for us to ever achieve. That's that sort of classic perfectionist piece of feeling like we have to be, um, you know, above and beyond all of the time that we're, you know, we're looking for not just good, um, but without mistakes, without any flaws. Um, So we keep putting our, you know, putting ourselves up up and up and up on this you know sort of um continuum of goals that we expect ourselves to reach or the way we expect ourselves to behave or the way we want ourselves to look um and then the the second part of it is is a belief system that that's you know behind all of that is this belief that our self-worth is contingent upon the things that we achieve um and that's what drives a lot of our perfectionist behavior um is needing to, like I was saying, sort of do more and achieve more, um, and and look for these external signs that you know some validation that we are you know good enough, we're as good as everybody else. Um, and so this is where our thinking ends up getting off track: is that um, for us, perfectionism almost equals adequacy, which is really <laughs> right. It's not what what it truly means, and we can kind of get into that some more. Um, and then the last part of it that really underpins all of this perfectionism is a lot of fear. Um, like I was talking about for myself, um, there's, there's typically sort of a fear of, um, criticism, a fear of rejection, a fear of inadequacy, a fear of failure, um, fear of being embarrassed, um, lots of things like that. So, so that, you know, kind of, um, underlies everything that that's going on in terms of the behavioral part of it is that's part of our thinking is, um, you know, it's sort of like I got to keep proving myself. I don't want people to really know, I almost, almost like that imposter piece. I don't want people to, to find out. Um, so I need to keep doing things to show people that um, I'm, I'm as good as they are.
0: For listeners, if you're wondering if you fit the category of perfectionism, Sharon has a checklist in her workbook. And some of the things on that checklist, see if they fit for you. You set exceptionally high standards for yourself. You never feel satisfied. There's always more to do or accomplish. You're detail-oriented. You're afraid of disappointing people. You're always busy. You try and avoid making mistakes and see them as bad. Or you dwell on your mistakes and imperfections. You base your self-worth as a person on your accomplishments. And there's a number of other things on this list that you could check out. When I talk with clients in my practice about perfectionism, I'll hold out my my arm sort of parallel to the floor and I'll say, this is even, this is average. And what actually perfectionists feel like is that they're below that line and they have to work extra hard just to get up to level with other people. Even though on the outside it often looks like they're overachievers and that they have everything together, inside that doesn't always match. Often underneath perfectionism is a low sense of self-worth, a desire for security by getting other people's approval or trying to control their own internal world. One of the things that I'm curious about is the perfectionists that not only are setting high standards for themselves, but also high standards for others.
1: Yeah, I think in a a practical sense, um, there are some perfectionists who just direct their perfectionism towards themselves. So they have these incredibly high standards um, and expectations for themselves, but they do not put that onto other people. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people I will say I am I am one of these people who also expects perfection from other people, which then creates a whole nother host of problems in relationships. Um but so that that's the other component is that we feel like other people should also live up to our incredibly high standards and then we are frustrated because they are inevitably going to fail to meet those expectations because they're unrealistic. Right. And then we can get into, you know, being critical and being nagging and unhappy with other people frustrated in our relationships um, because we've kind of set that up um, in the way that we're thinking about things and those expectations that we're setting um, for people.
0: And it says catch 22, because if you're a perfectionist, you're, you're wanting to get, you're sort of sometimes a people pleaser and wanting to get people's acknowledgement and appreciation. But actually, people don't really want to be around perfectionists. It's not comfortable to be around them. My, my mother-in-law told me once I was running around trying to make this perfect birthday party for my for my children, I'm really into birthday parties. And I get really stressed out before birthday parties to make this perfect day. And my mother-in-law said, you know, it must be when your friends come and they see all of this, it must be kind of stressful for them because they, then they feel like they would have to do that too. And it it kind of gave me this perspective of like, actually, it'd be more comfortable if we just had a party at the park and threw some balls around and bought a sheet cake than, you know, for people there, because I think the high expectations that perfectionists set actually is alienating to others as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure, that you know, in you're creating that perfect birthday party, you're not trying to you know put that expectation on on anybody else. That's not our intention. No. Um, but you're right. I mean, the connection that we truly have with people is in being able to connect with the imperfections, essentially, right? Because even as perfectionists, we feel so imperfect. Right. That that where we do get that comfort is, you know, when I go to my friend's house and I see, you know, the dust behind, you know, the bathroom door, I'm like, oh, phew, like, yeah. you goodness. know, I'm not the only one, right? Yeah. You didn't like, you know, spend hours cleaning your house before I came over. Great. <laughs> you know right. I don't, I don't expect you to, which then makes me feel like, okay, well, maybe I don't have to do it either because I'm not judging other people on, you know, how clean their house is or how beautiful the birthday party is obviously that's not why anybody is going to your house to see you or celebrate a birthday, right? It's, it's because they like you as people, you know, whether you're perfect or imperfect.
0: Right. And so you're also alluding to some of the consequences of perfectionism. And I think, you know, there is, there is actually some research that perfectionists tend to be a little bit more motivated or more conscientious, but there's a real dark side to perfectionism, not just that, um, you know, sometimes you feel a bit more stressed out, but it's really linked to some mental health struggles as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a large body of research out there that shows that perfectionism is not helpful and it is not healthy for us, both physically or emotionally. It is associated with increased levels of anxiety and depression, eating disorders, suicidal behavior, physical health problems, relationship problems. So a whole you know host of negative outcomes um you know and i think you know anybody who has some perfectionist tendencies you know knows from experience that it is extremely stressful you're putting a tremendous amount of stress on yourself on top of whatever else is going on in your life whatever you're trying to achieve now you've just added this additional layer of needing it to be you know so perfect and um you're working so hard that you exhaust yourself you burn out um you know and as i was talking about you know for some of us it definitely causes you know stress in relationships um either because you know i think our our you know loved ones don't understand you know why we're you know working so hard or sort of acting so crazy to to do things in a particular way or we you know we we have sort of um put some of that onto them in terms of those expectations as well um and this you know so much of it is about self-criticism as well Um, and I and I think people often think that being hard on themselves is going to be motivating but again I mean the research does not back this up and if you think about your own experience I think most people will also agree that you know ultimately you know berating yourself and saying mean things to yourself is not how you motivate somebody I mean you can think about this if if you're a parent you know with your children I mean that you know that creates more fear and more shame. It doesn't actually, you know, build people up so that they want to do better. So, um, you know, that that's one piece that also that we have to, you know, kind of let go of this idea that, you know, I don't have to be so hard on myself. That's not the key to getting myself to achieve more and do, do better, which is, you know, something that a lot of perfectionists struggle with. You know, they're afraid that if they just kind of let themselves off the hook on things that you know everything's sort of gonna crumble and they you know they won't achieve anything and nothing will get done um, and you know and that's really tricky because like I was saying earlier if your self-worth has you know been attached to what you do or what you look like um, that's a really scary thing to, to say okay well what if I dial that back a little bit what's that gonna look like for me how can I still feel good about myself
0: And I wasn't surprised to learn that there's been a rise in perfectionism in the last quarter century that goes right alongside the rise in mental health problems that we're seeing in our young adults. And what some, I think, people argue about that is in part because of our society that is super competitive and individualistic. And we're encouraging our kids to compete against each other and be the best. And parents are seeing their kids as sort of this extension of themselves and then pressure their kids to perform so that they can feel good about themselves as parents. At the same time, kids are getting these external standards that are super high from social media. They they see perfect images on Instagram. They have these unachievable images out there that really no one can be. And if you have these perfectionistic tendencies, it's really, I think, kryptonite. So it seems that there's a lot of different moving parts that contribute to somebody developing perfectionistic tendencies. Can you talk a little bit about those? Sure. Um,
1: You know, definitely like you were saying, one piece of it is culture, which I mean, that encompasses so much, but that, you know, I'm just sort of talking about all of the, you know, larger, you know, messages that we get about um, what's valued, um, you know, the way we should behave, the things that we should be doing, um, you know this some of this is you know from religious organizations and um, some of it is from the media and some of it is from our parents and our schools um, you know we could go probably go on and on about any one of these um, <laughs> you know things um, but in terms of you know I would say probably you know parenting is definitely one component of it um, and you were you were talking about some aspects of 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 parenting in terms of different parenting styles that can impact perfectionism. You know, sometimes it's, it's really, I always say just sort of role modeling that um, if you're a perfectionist parent and your children see you <laughs> being perfectionistic, of course they're gonna absorb some of that. That's, that's only natural. Even if you are not, um, you know, truly putting those uh, expectations on your kids, they see what you're doing. Um, and, you know, we all know as parents that kids, kids know more about what's going on um, than we think they do. So they, they see what we're doing. Um, and, then, and then there are definitely parents who <clears throat> are extremely demanding and they, you know, outwardly tell their children that they expect perfection. They expect nothing but A pluses and they expect, um, you know, nothing but the best in terms of um, extracurricular activities um appearance um all of sort of the outward symbols of success in our culture um that those are the things that the parents are very concerned about um it's not it's not necessarily because they per se want their child to be successful Um, it's often about wanting to appear a particular way and so the parent is essentially deriving some of their self-worth from what their child is doing. So that's why they're, you know, pushing their child to be the best at everything because they feel like, well, this makes me look good and this gives me social standing. And that's very important to that type of parent. Um, so that's that's one type of parenting. Um, there are other parents who are more, I would say, you know, sort of distracted and and just sort of busy with their own lives, um, maybe struggling with their own issues, and they're just not very tuned in to their kids. Um, and sometimes in these families, um, children develop perfectionism as a way of, um, again, sort of feeling valued because they're not getting um, that from their parents. Their parents are not really um, for, you know, specifically saying, okay, I see that you're struggling. Um, let me help you out with that. Um, or um, I see you're doing an excellent job, you know, tell me about how things are going. Um, so kids will, will start to say, okay, well, how can I um, make sure that I am a value? Um, how can I get that from my parents or, you know, from other people, other important adults in their lives? Um, because we all um, want to feel like we matter right and if you're if your parents aren't very tuned into your feelings, you end up feeling like you don't matter. Um, and then there are other families um, in the book i I call this um, overwhelmed parents um, and these are these are families where there's a lot of um, chaos, there's sort of chronic problems that are ongoing um, and often if um, kids in these families um, what happens is they're looking for Um, you know, some security, a sense of safety. Um, Because there's so much chaos and overwhelm in the family, they use perfectionism as a way of feeling that they have some control over their own life. Um, And and that sort of is a piece of feeling safe in the world. Um, And it can also be a way of um, being so good that they wanna make their, um, their parents' lives easier because they see how much their parents are struggling and how overwhelmed they are. And so they think, okay, well, if I don't need anything from my parents, if I'm overachieving, I'm super helpful, um, then this will sort of lighten the burden um, for my parents
0: as well. Yeah. So you're kind of also pointing to some of these core attachment needs, right? Of just being seen, being acknowledged, being loved, being told that you have worth. And when in some way those are not met, either you know, obviously or more subtly, what a child can do is turn to perfectionism, and then kind of get this false meeting of of those needs sort of this uh, really get also reinforced by it because a perfectionists are, so lauded in our society, and you get people's smiles, and you get people's, you know, high-tuned voices of "Oh, good job!" and "Look at you!" and and that just feeds the beast, right? And that's how the child learns. Okay, this is this is my new form of that. This is how I get the appreciation, acceptance, and worth that oh, I'm looking for. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's yeah. so acceptable. I mean, you think about when kids go to school. I mean, these are the the kids that the teachers love, right? I mean, they're well-behaved. They know the answers. They've done Mm -hmm. their homework. Um, So there is all this reinforcement or, you know, or the same, you know, if you're the star trumpet player in the band or the quarterback on the football team, I mean, there's so much, you know, sort of love that you get Mm -hmm. um, from everybody Mm -hmm. because you're so good. Right. Um, but then, like you're saying, it's like you get on this hamster wheel of perfectionism that there's no way off of because right. you have to keep keep going all the time because that's how you feel like you matter.
0: Yeah, and that's why I really love Carol Dweck's work around, uh, you know, process based feedback as opposed to product based feedback. And I'm constantly trying to rewire my own parenting with my kids to attend to the process of. How you know, their process of working hard or their process of what What was it like for them to work on the book report instead of just saying, oh, what a beautiful book report, what beautiful pictures, what perfect sentences, that that actually undermines, you know, they're just paying attention to, it. Doesn't, it's not about the product at the end, that you're not producing something pretty to make your mom smile, but really this is the process of learning and part of learning is messiness and mistakes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think unfortunately, um, you know, probably both at home and in, in schools, a lot of times the emphasis is on the product. It's on the grade. It's not really on how much did you learn, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, It's, it's so on sad. what
0: pictures are we going to put up on the wall for parents' night? <laughs> you know, <laughs> not necessarily what, what, what was it like to make, you know, to mix those colors and just blend them together. And at the end, it might turn out all muddy, but it was kind of fun to watch the colors change over time, right? Because you're not going to put a picture of mud on the wall. So that's, yeah, that's, I think, um, then we internalize that and we grow up and we become adults and we have those same type of thought processes and internalized, um, belief systems as adults. Can you talk about some of the typical perfectionistic thinking, um, <laughs> traps that we get into? Sure. There are, there are quite a few, <laughs> and I, I would say,
1: you know, a lot of this is is what we would call cognitive distortions. And so if people who are listening are familiar with that, it will sound very familiar. It's it's a lot of, you know, kind of what I would call rigid thinking. It's all or nothing. Um, it's a lot of should statements. It's focusing on the negatives instead of seeing, you know, the reality of that there's a mix of positive and negatives. Um, so one way that you can think about this is, is really just thinking about self-critical statements because that's a lot of it is anything negative that you are saying to yourself, whether it's, um, you know, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, I shouldn't have done that, why the heck did I do that again? All of that self-critical stuff is, is a root of, of, you know, the outsource of that um, perfectionism. And, and again, we could turn it around. And if you're somebody who tends to be have those really high expectations of others, it can be the exact same thing, except, in you know, I can't believe you did that again, or you're so stupid, um, those types of things. Um, and then, like I said, there, there's a lot of um, should kind of statements. I should always know the right thing to say, or um, I should never make mistakes. Um, I should have lost this baby weight by now, any of those types of things. And then there's probably another group that I would say is, is like fear based statements, which is thinking like, I have to be perfect or fill in the blank, some negative thing is going to happen. Or, um, you know, I'll, I'm going to be fired if I don't get this presentation exactly right. Um, people are going to leave me. People won't love me. People won't like me, that type of thing, which is that, that fear. Um, I'm expecting the worst. I'm catastrophizing about what's going to happen if I don't meet this, um, you know, unrealistic expectation that I have probably set for myself that nobody else is actually holding me to.
0: A lot of your workbook is working with people around how to approach these thoughts. Can you talk a little bit about how you how you do that with people? Sure. And part of it is, is a pretty simple
1: cognitive behavioral approach, which you can break down to a, a very simple formula, which is recognizing that that thought is whatever you want to call it, perfectionistic or distorted, that like somehow that thought is not accurate. And so once you get used to identifying those thoughts, um, then what you can do is the next step, which is um, challenging them being able to untangle that a, a little bit and and look at whether it truly is an accurate statement you know where is the evidence that's going to support whether this thought is true or not um, and this can be tough in the beginning because we're really used to we're attached to the thoughts that we have <laughs> we've been you know thinking them and we've been saying them for so long that a lot of times we don't even recognize um, what we're thinking so once we've sort of slowed this process down and, and it often does take, You know, doing some pen and paper work, I find to be the most helpful. Um, So you can really see it in black and white and recognize that thought and look at it and think about okay, you know, is there another way that I could look at this situation? Is there another way that I could think about myself um, that would be more based on reality? We're not trying to replace this with, um, you know, false um, positives or that everything is rosy and. Um, things that feel really phony. We're just looking for something that feels like it's more based in reality That's more balanced. Um, So that might be another way of thinking as we're kind of looking for a balance in our thinking so that we can hold, you know, both, you know, um, the belief, you know, that we have strengths and then also that that those imperfect imperfections are there and that they are okay and they're tolerable. Um, That's a big part of it as well so that we can um, recognize that these imperfections that we know are there, um, it, you know, if we acknowledge them and sort of bring them to the surface and can talk about them and let people see them, then sort of the power that they hold almost starts to dissolve because usually you'll find that you're, you know, those fears that you had are, are not even actualized.
0: And I'm an act therapist, so I take a little bit of a different approach with thoughts because sometimes, challenging thoughts doesn't always work, especially if thoughts are maybe true or have some validity to them. And for example, I work with college students a lot and some of my college students are in sororities and there are perfectionistic standards within the sororities around outfits, around uh, body shape and size, that are not very helpful, but are real. And what I would work with with a client around that is not, not saying, oh, that's not true, people don't really think that, but really work with them around to what degree of you getting super fused with that thought and organizing your whole life around it, is it helpful for you in participating in the activities? Because if you're not gonna go to the event because you're so worried about your outfit being perfect or your body shape and size, then you're opting out of this thing that's really important to you. So it can be helpful to, I think, you know, look at thoughts in a number of different ways. And one way is to look at not just the validity, but also the utility of believing that thought, especially in our society, which is competitive and individualistic. Another component I really appreciated about your work is how you integrate and build in strategies like gratitude and self-compassion and mindfulness as antidotes to perfectionism, another direction that perfectionists can turn their minds towards. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, like I was saying, I mean, part of it is that we need to recognize that we have strengths as well. And put that back into balance. Yeah. Um, as I was saying, you know, perfectionists tend to be so self-critical that they are hyper-aware of every little thing that they do that feels wrong. Um, that that it, you know, they end up discounting all of the things that that are assets or you know, just character strengths, effort that they put in. It's like none of that matters unless yeah. the outcome again, that product um, is what they were looking for. So. So when we can actually bring in some something like a gratitude practice, I mean that essentially forces you to you know look for what's positive, um, maybe in yourself or in your life as a whole or in other people. Um, so that's just an intentional way that you can bring that in, and it starts to you know retrain your brain so that you can look for positives and be less focused on the negatives.
0: Mm-hmm. So, can we talk a little bit about busyness because I think you there's some more subtle perfectionistic um, qualities that show up. And busyness is certainly one of them. I think that busyness is the new status symbol. When you're at a party, it's not how much money you have, but how busy you are that shows your importance. And it's also, I think, really related to this topic of perfectionism.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I th- I think to begin with, part of what happens as a perfectionist is – you do keep yourself very busy because you're on that hamster wheel and you always have to be achieving something um, better, you know, bigger and better than you did yesterday. So you're always working. So there is a huge tendency towards um, overworking and overdoing it, over committing yourself, signing up for every, everything, um, being really busy. And, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, part, part of that problem of course, is that we exhaust ourselves. We, Um, take on more than one you know can realistically accomplish and we sacrifice rest and we sacrifice sleep we sacrifice quality time you know in our relationships we tend to sacrifice just having fun um, things that are enjoyable we we don't value that instead we're only doing the things um, that are going to you know, achieve something that, that is another sort of um, tick on the the checklist of self-worth. Um, either that's, you know, an achievement or something that we feel like is going to be pleasing to other people. So so the, the other piece of this is that we, we can end up sort of out of alignment with the things that really matter to us. We can be spending a lot of time doing things that maybe aren't the most important things to us. You know so for example if somebody um is spending an inordinate amount of time cleaning their house or redoing work that they had already done so it can be better it can be perfect um, these things might have a place but oftentimes the amount of time that is being spent is out of proportion to the value that that we actually have for that task um and you know like i was saying before i mean then, the, then, of course, you don't have time for the things that really do matter to you. So, you know, often then we, we sort of feel resentful about things or we, there's just sort of an internal, you know, I would say unhappiness, discontent about feeling like something is off in your life mm-hmm. um, because you're, you're not doing the things that are truly the most important to you.
0: Right. You get into this this habit of, uh, oh, I'll, I'll rest once I get all of my work done, but then there's just more, more and more on your plate and you never get it done. So you never actually get to enjoy the life that you're working so hard for. And I, yeah. I also think about this concept of um, even our downtime now, I think is getting hijacked by perfectionism and uh, this performance based aspect of our lives and I think something like Instagram is a perfect example of that because in your downtime now you're looking at how can I get the perfect picture of my downtime which then you're going to have to go post and edit and it becomes a new a new work which is the branding of yourself and I think there's a real danger in that in that this, this aspect of um, product and performance is creeping into not just our work anymore. It's in all aspects of our lives. It's in our downtime. It's in our, the way that we're posting on social media. It's how we're you know living in the world or how even taking pictures of our children, are we keeping those updated, right? And that it creates a tremendous amount of stress. You, you have this checklist in your book of, are you too busy? And some of the things on it are things like um, you regularly multitask, you get so that you can get more done. Your to-do list is never done. If you're raising children, they're involved in two or more activities. Mm. You feel overwhelmed, stressed, or anxious about how much you have to do. You rely on caffeine or other stimulants to get through the day. That's a common one I see in my practice of using caffeine and stimulants, Red Bull, whatever, to get through the day, and then needing alcohol to wind you down at night and this vicious cycle, right? Uh, that really has you know health impacts as well as uh, mental health.
1: Yeah, yeah I, and we certainly know that, that just a lack of sleep, not getting enough sleep on a regular basis affects us tremendously. Um, so that, that again, I mean, it becomes part of that vicious cycle of if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not getting enough rest, then you need more caffeine and more stimulants and more alcohol, right? I mean, it just goes on and on um, because we're not, we're not really listening to what we need. We're just doing and doing and doing and it's not very mindful. You know, I think so many people just do things without even thinking about whether they actually have a choice. I mean, we do, of course, but we feel like we don't because we're not taking the time to even say, you know, why am I doing this? You know, is this important to me? Do I want to be doing this? What kind of value is this bringing to my life versus just, you know, kind of being on autopilot and um, thinking, well, this is how I've always done it, or this is what other people expect me to do, so I, I guess I'll just have to do it.
0: Going back to connection. Connection. And that connection resides in places where there's not a lot of doing. And and that's the irony of this, I think, is that if underneath perfectionism is a desire to connect and the perfectionism is the very thing that's pulling them further and further away from connecting with others. It's really sad. Yeah.
1: Yes. You know, I think that's one of the big, you know, fallacies about perfectionism is that we think that being perfect is going to, you know, bring us closer to people. We think people are going to like us and they're going to want to be around us because we are so awesome. <laughs> we are just the best, right? Yeah. And of course, it, you know, the truth is it's generally just the opposite. Yeah you know, that, you know, if you really think about people who you look at and you think, oh, they just have it all together. Their life is perfect. They know everything. They never, you know, make mistakes. They always have the right thing to say. These are not generally the people that you want to spend the most time with. They're always busy. (laughs) Well, they're always busy. That's true. It it tends to be a little off-putting because we can't, we don't know how to connect to that, right? Because it's, it's, we feel like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, even if you're a perfectionist, you know, you yourself are feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not meeting that standard. I'm so far behind that. I'm so imperfect. I'm so flawed that I don't know how to relate to this person who appears to have everything and, and you know, have it all together. It's the people, you know, like I was saying, that have the dust behind the bathroom door that we go, oh, I I understand, you know, what your life is like. I understand, you know, what your experiences are. And that's just a very simplistic, you know, example, of course. It, it's really when we can talk about, you know, the really painful stuff, the the stuff that, you know, really matters in terms of, you know, the big things we've screwed up on in our lives, you know, um, the painful experiences of feeling you know, criticized and not accepted or failing at things, you know, when, when we can share that with somebody and they accept us and they love us And they say, yes, I know exactly what that's like, you know, here's what's happened to me. And we, Oh my gosh, you know, like now we really get each other. Now there's really the bond there in, in the imperfection.
0: Yeah. So Debbie Yael and I, we do sort of a, I don't know, weekly or every other week meeting where we show up on zoom like this and we talk about the podcast and usually the first half hour before we start recording, is that we're talking, you know, we're going in to talk about a podcast about parenting. We spend the first hour talking about how we feel like we're terrible parents and what a stressful week we had and we just everything's falling apart. And that's actually why we do this is because we get to have this time together to just show our imperfections and and be vulnerable in that way. And that's what creates the bond. Right. And that's that's what that's what I look forward to in in meeting with them. Yeah. And you know, I think I think it's interesting there's the cognitive component of whether it's challenging your thoughts or recognizing these thoughts aren't super helpful and what would be a more helpful direction to place my mind but there's also i think a real behavioral component of perfection as of, of recovering from perfectionism and working on it which is trying out being imperfect and there's times in my even in my practice where I'll do little exposure exercises with people to practice imperfection. So if it's someone that's always on time to my practice and that's like a thing for them as being on time, we set up a behavioral experiment. Okay, next time you come, I want you to come a little bit late, right? Or I'll do writing assignments with um, students that are really highly perfectionistic students and make them do the writing assignment with their left hand if they're right handers, and it's really uncomfortable. But I do think that's an important part. Is kind of trying it out and seeing that you survive and then being able to loosen up around the edges a little bit of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I totally agree. It's a very useful thing that um you can just challenge yourself on whatever whatever the thing is that you're feeling um that you need to do perfectly is to say, okay, I'm going to do it a little bit imperfectly or I'm going to leave a little bit undone of this and and just practice tolerating it. And like you said, I mean, part of that is recognizing that nothing terrible happens. You know, that awful thing that you thought was going to happen does not materialize. And it is just a process of getting used to it. I mean, we, we can learn to get used to all kinds of things. Um, and you can absolutely just get used to, you know, leaving some mistakes in your work or leaving some dishes in the sink. Um, you know, not combing your kid's hair, whatever it is, you know, and go, okay, you know, the more you do it, the easier it gets. It's, you know, right. as difficult and as simple as that.
0: And, um. you might as well, and you might as well try it out because as much as perfectionists think that they can control their external world, they can't. And there's going to be that time when the external world loses it. You know, you get the flu and you can't clean the sink and your kid, kid, kid's hair isn't perfect or whatever. And might as well have tried that out and gotten a little bit more comfortable and used to it ahead of time so that you don't fall apart when one, you know, one little crack comes in. You
1: yeah. And in there, the you know? other thing that I would mention, um, I think often the fear for perfectionists is if they let go of this even a little bit, that again, that like everything's going to fall apart. And yes. Um, That's not going to be the case. I'm going to assure you that you will still be able to do, you know, all of the other things that you want to do in the way that you want to do them. All you're going to do is be loosening up on a particular thing to begin with. And, And from there, you may choose to loosen up a little bit more on some other different things. But it's not the whole system, um, you know, of, of of what you've, you know, accomplished or what you the way you want your life to be set up is not going to fall apart. We're, you know, we're just, um, you know, what I call it, you're just sort of dialing it back a little bit. We're not trying to throw the entire thing out. Um, so, so when you're sort of moderating these these perfectionist tendencies, you can, you know, you can still hold on to the things that are helpful about perfectionism. We just want to get rid of the pieces that are unhelpful that are, you know stressful that are unrealistic but we can still you know we can still work hard we can still be detail oriented we can still be organized you know some of those things that feel really helpful um, about being a perfectionist
0: right you delineate the difference between perfectionism and striving for excellence and, and, and you know that or, or um striving to you know do well and though it doesn't mean you have to let go of, of that striving self in areas that you care about it's just that you're actually more efficient and effective because you're not getting bogged down by the by the perfectionism. And yeah. And what's interesting about I think perfectionists is that I don't think at least most people aren't perfectionist in all domains or all areas of their life. It's usually a couple. So it may be like the super high achieving student, but then their, their room is a mess. Right. And they don't, or the super perfectionist person that, about their household, but then are really, you're super flexible around their eating. And so it's, it's interesting to kind of look at, okay, this isn't all of you. There's parts of you that are actually quite relaxed and, and don't have this perfectionist quality. and what do you like about that domain, and how could we bring a little bit of that into the, these areas? And then likewise, if you want to bring some of your striving for, um, for excellence into the other domains, how could we swap those two? That It's usually not just um, one blanket perfectionism, at least that's what I've seen in my practice, that we can kind of see the different parts of ourselves and the functionality of the different parts.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, that it's not necessarily across the board in, in everything that you're doing. Um, although it does remind me also, I mean, of, the, of this other piece that's, you know, partly procrastination, um, but partly maybe just overwhelm that, that happens with perfectionism. And so sometimes we can have areas of our life that just feel out, actually totally out of control, whether it's, like you said, a really messy room in our house that we just don't go into (laughs) like I can't deal with that Um, or um, your eating um, habits you might say like I'm so perfectionistic at work or with cleaning my house or with my kids but you know I just have no control and you know my eating is really awful and I'm you know I'm clearly not a perfectionist in that area of my life Um, and so sometimes that can be very confusing um, to people like you were saying And, and I think part of what happens is sometimes it's because of our perfectionism that we feel like we can't meet these um, expectations that we've set for ourselves, that it's almost like we give up in some areas of our life in trying. And then that becomes such a painful um, source of failure, um, you know, and feeling like we're we're just not measuring up. We're not even, you know, know, doing what we want to be doing in that area of our life, that, that that's a big piece of self-criticism, then, and that can almost sort of flood into other areas of our life where we are, you know, sort of quite successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we're we're not um, we're not doing well according to ourselves um, in in some areas of our life,
0: um,
1: it sort of feels like that that discounts everything else that we're yeah. doing.
0: Yeah, interesting. And yeah, the, and there is also that link between perfectionism and procrastination. As yeah, as you is that sort of black and white thinking. It's either there's there's not as much of a middle path. Um. Yeah, you know
1: sometimes that's a little bit confusing for people also because I would say sort of the typical you know idea of a perfectionist is just somebody who works and works and works nonstop and you know they're always you know doing something, um, which may be the case, but they, you know we often are procrastinating on on things just like anybody else. The things that we find to be very difficult. Um, unpleasant kinds of tasks. But again, I mean, there's that fear that's motivating it. It's the fear that um, I'm I'm not going to be good at this. I'll, you know, make a fool of myself if I do it. I'm not, I'm going to fail at it. So again, there's sort of the, almost sort of the resignation. I'm just not going to do it. Um, Although, you know, we may eventually do it, but uh, we're procrastinating on it because we're afraid of, of not being able to do it, you know, to the standard that we want.
0: So what would be some key takeaways that you would want, you know, obviously people can look up your workbook and do a more in-depth um, process with themselves. If they're, you know, noticing, Hey, that's me. They're talking about me right now. <laughs> uh, but also I'm just wondering if there were some key takeaways that you would want to give our listeners, whether they're therapists that are working with perfectionists or they're struggling with themselves.
1: Well, like I said, I feel like one of the, the key areas to really um, hone in on is the self-critical talk, um, the thoughts or that self-talk. And recognizing what that is can be really helpful in being able to then untangle that um, and make some changes around that perfectionist thinking. Um, And then, like you said, there's sort of a behavioral piece that we can work on as well in trying to act differently um, and let go of some things actively. And then I think, you know, sort of, you know, in combination with that, there's, there's this piece of, you know being more mindful about what we're doing and why we're doing it just that general sense of kind of slowing down you know and asking ourselves um what matters to us can be helpful and then then again bringing in some of that self-compassion um i think is is a really great piece especially you know if you're very self-critical um it's challenging um to you know, say nice things to yourself, um, and feel like that's um, accurate, <laughs> and um, to feel like that's um, real for you. Um, so it's definitely a practice, um, but again, I think that that can be helpful in changing the thinking patterns, and it's also it's also motivating. So, you know, if you feel like okay, I'm afraid if I'm you know I'm gonna stop being so critical with myself, then maybe I won't get anything done. You know actually being kind to yourself is going to help you achieve your goals in you know probably more effective ways than the self criticism ever did,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely, and there's plenty of research to back that up as well. And for those that want to read more of uh more on self, um, uh, For those that want to read more on perfectionism, I also really recommend The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, Let Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embrace Who You Are. And she also has a lot of great uh, videos that we can put some links to as well that can be inspirational uh, as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think just in closing, I was just thinking, I read a lot of Pema Chodron and I, one of her um, quotes that, I don't know if it's an exact quote, but she was talking about sort of the river that we're all in of life and, and sort of suggesting that we practice being more water and less rock. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, I think a good example, sometimes when we're perfectionists, we get, um, you know, we get really inflexible and really stuck and it, and it doesn't it, it doesn't move uh, very well in the river. Yeah, that that's so, really
1: helpful, I yeah. think, because we didn't talk too much about that, but just that idea that, you know, right, we need to be adaptive and we need to be flexible and that that's such a struggle um for us as perfectionists because life is unpredictable <laughs> no matter how much we try to control it you know stuff is just going to happen that we didn't expect and we end up being so much happier when we can we can allow things to happen and you know and feel ultimately confident in being able to deal with whatever you know happens
0: so ask yourself, am I being a rock or am I being the mm-hmm. water? <laughs> Could be helpful. Well, thank you so much, Sharon Martin, for having a, for coming on the show. And it's just a delight to have you on. And I appreciate all your work in this area and your personal work, but also your professional writings about it. And we really uh, just are gr- grateful for you to thank be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock.
2: You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage.
0: Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com.